week five of the K-Cup series. We're doing this whole thing because, you know, when you study Jesus, there is a K word that pops up all the time in everything he talks about. And that word is kingdom, okay? He, he didn't bring the message of salvation. He didn't bring the message of heaven. He brought the message of the kingdom of heaven. And inside this message is everything else that we have learned about God and his plans for us. But to understand it correctly, we have to understand kingdom. So we've been taking five weeks so far to try to, to understand these parables. Because he starts these parables with the same thing. He says, and the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he gives us this parable that just blows our minds, okay? And so we've been trying to do this for four, four weeks so far. But this week, we're going to have a really interesting one. We have started his parables with the beginning of his ministry. And so what happens in Matthew 4 and 5, we see his first message, okay, the Sermon on the Mount. And he brings this first kind of a radical understanding of a kingdom. And of course, when he talks kingdom, everyone thinks he's talking a earthly power. They think he's talking armies. They think he's talking walls and buildings, okay? And so it's the first time that he kind of shares what he's here about. And, every, and it's the first time that he gets misunderstood. And it's the first time he makes enemies, and so from this moment forward, he begins to talk about different things. And so the first part of his ministry talks about the word kingdom. The second part, he begins to talk about an aspect of the kingdom, and that word is grace. So we covered that. And then now, we are now at the end of his life and his ministry. And again, in the context of kingdom, he's talking about a really, really fun, exciting topic. Judgment. Yes! Everyone says, amen, let's talk judgment. <sighs> yeah. Amen, right, okay. So, last week, it was his last pit stop on the road before Jerusalem, okay, in chapter 19 of Matthew. Now we're going to be going to Matthew 22. He has already entered into the city, okay, and the, now that he's here, if you guys remember, he's been spending some time kind of hiding out away from the city. The reason for this, of course, was he knew that the moment he entered the city, it was going to be his death. And so he knew it wasn't time yet, so he'd been avoiding the city, but now that he's now in the city... The pressure is on him, okay? He has a constant crowd of people who are out to take his life, and they're trying to find ways to justify it to everyone else who's watching. And so things are getting a little bit heavy, a little bit serious. And so again, this topic of judgment is one he's now talking about. But there's a new topic that he brings up now. From the moment that he enters the city, he begins to talk about kingship. He's never before this really embraced this understanding of him being God or him being king. He's hinted at it. He's allowed other people to say it. He's even allowed his father to say it. But he has not to this moment begun to accept to other people that he's God or king. But now he begins to, to accept that. Now again, we all know this because the moment that he begins to accept that he's God and king, now everyone around him has a right to kill him. Okay? Here's a, here's a crazy man. Here's a heretic who is claiming to be God, okay? You have a hard enough time if someone claims to be a better human than you, okay? But if someone, that's true, right? Okay, if someone thinks they're smarter than you, better looking than you, okay, I guess that's just me, all right. But imagine if someone claimed to be God, okay? You would be a little bit upset. And if he claimed that every word that came out of his mouth was absolutely right, you couldn't argue because why, you say? Because I'm God, that's why. Oh, well, that's a fair argument, okay? So you can understand they're a little bit frustrated. And now, because he's talking judgment, all right, he's talking about his kingdom, he's saying everyone who comes into my kingdom comes through this one gate. They come through the eye of a needle, okay, if you would. And that needle is who? It's him. And now he's saying everyone who doesn't go through this needle, everyone who doesn't pass through the gate, everyone who doesn't pass through himself, Jesus, the reason is because they're going to be judged. 
So he's telling people, he's saying, you're not coming because you're getting judged, and I know this because I'm God. So imagine if you're having a discussion with someone, and then someone says, oh, by the way, because you're against me, you're not coming, and you know why I know that? Because I'm God. Truth bomb, right? I mean, or he's crazy, one of the two, right? Just like C.S. Lewis said. All right, so here's the context for everything. Again, all right, he, he's been building up to this. You could almost sense it in his words and his stories. There is a, there's more of an edge to the things he's saying now. The, the reality of the fact that he is about to endure the cross is hitting his manhood, if you would, okay? The side of him that is human, okay? His humanity. It's starting to realize that this is not going to be fun, all right? And so again, these words are getting more serious, getting more dire. This is the context we have here. So this leads us up to our parable today, okay? The parable of the wedding banquet. What's very funny about this parable, though, is that he's told it before. In Luke 14, earlier in his ministry, when he was still talking about grace, he said the same exact story, but there's a couple little details that he changed in it. The first detail is this. In the first story in Luke 14, it is a banquet, but it's, it's called by just a man. So basically, it's a man having a party. He invites people. In Matthew 22, the one we're on today, it's a king. See the difference? He's now embracing the fact that he is now the son of a king, God. And so now, the one calling the party isn't just some random guy in the neighborhood. It is a king, okay? So it's a little bit more serious. And the second thing we see is judgment. In the first time he tells a story, everyone who denies him and doesn't come to the party just kind of gets ignored. That's not what happens in this one. So I will save that for you until we get there, all right? Also, remember, it's important for us, when you read anything, okay, if you can't ever go to seminary, here's a little tip for you. Read what's before it and what's after it. We call that context, right? Everyone say context. Don't ever just read a passage and go, this is what it means. You have no idea what it means until you know what comes before it and what comes after it. And what makes Jesus so tricky is he doesn't just reference what came before it in the chapter or the verse or the paragraph. He's always referencing the entirety of human history. So he's really easy to understand all the time, right? Okay, gotcha. Okay. So especially with Jesus, be a little bit mindful that typically he's trying to connect things and dots together that have to do with, you know, the creation of the world and everything, right? So he's a little bit deep, but we can, I think with some effort, we can figure out what he's talking about. So also, what's going to happen here is what follows this, if you would, okay? So what's happening, you have this buildup, of course, of his ministry. He has people who are following him, who are trying to trip to trick him, to trap him. The, the parables following this, it's more of the same, okay? They begin to ask some questions about judgment, ask some questions about marriage. So like in heaven, are we going to be married? What happens if this woman and her husband dies? Again, the whole point is they're trying to find a reason to kill him. Also, we, we continue to see the same theme from here to the cross, okay? He is now accepting and sharing with everyone else, okay, this great news of him being king all the way up to the cross. And what happens on the cross is we see the christening, if you would, the crowning of a king. We, I can't even go into that one. If you missed it on Wednesday, we did open that up, and man, I'm sorry you missed that one. It was a good one. But basically, if you can, shortly, everything that happens from the moment that he's captured and he's brought with crowds and he has the purple on him and the crown of thorns, this is his coronation as king. I'll leave that with you. Anyways, all right. Are you guys ready to read the story? Two people are still awake. That's all right. It's all right. We love the scriptures. Here we go. 
Matthew 22, verse 1. Remember, he's just been correcting them. He's just been, uh, he's just been asked if he's God or not in chapter 21, and he's, he is now telling them about his authority, okay? His, his authority is being questioned. So why do you get to rewrite all of Scripture, they say? Well, because I'm the Son of God. So this is the same context. He's establishing his authority in his ministry. So here we go. 22, verse 1. So Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying again, spoke to them again, okay? He's speaking to the same people who are accusing him, they're arguing in the temple right now. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Okay, pause. Okay. In Luke 14, okay, the same people who did not come to the banquet, they were ignored, okay? That's when he was talking grace. Now he's talking judgment. So what happens to the people who do not come to the party? He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Amen. Okay, anyways, everyone says claim it, right? Okay, anyways. <laughs> Verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. That is puzzling to me. Go invite anyone you find. How many kings do you know who are going to invite anyone they can just find? Just bring anybody. I, I don't care. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find. Note this in your notes, okay? Both good and bad. Who gets invited to the kingdom of heaven? Both good and bad. That will be pretty powerful as we go forward. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. If you notice, there's no way to fill the wedding hall with good people. There weren't enough. Note to self, we aren't the good people, okay? Okay, anyways, continue. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked. This word friend in the Greek, okay, it's like buster. It's like pal. So it's not really like buddy, buddy. It, it, it's a slight, okay? He's saying, all right, buster, pal. He asked, how did you get in here without the wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Here comes the gracious king again. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, few are chosen. And everyone says, grace, grace, grace. Don't we have a God of love? Now we do, but you have to open up the parable, which, which we're going to do. But just kind of sit there with the story, okay? When you read this story, how does it hit you? Like a warm blanket, you just want to get all wrapped up in it, like, ooh, yes. Jesus is so loving, right? Okay, now, we understand that there are two, there are three major themes hidden in this, okay? First of all is kingship, okay? Again, he is hammering home, I am God. There is no arguing about this. These are my terms, not your terms. And we all want to, with these parables, we always want to put ourselves naturally you put this, 
when you read something, you naturally read yourself as one of the good people. Does that make sense? Okay? Because a few of us want to be the guy who showed up without the right clothes on. Okay? But the truth is, is that this is such an indicting thing because, again, he's saying it not just to people who are bad people. Okay? He's saying it to all the people. And it's, it always challenges us. And so, again, the first thing is this. We cannot set terms with God. Make sense? This goes for the good, the bad, the first people who are invited, the last people who are invited. For everyone who comes into this party, okay, we do not set the terms, he does. That's part of being a king, okay? He gets to do it. If we want to come, we can, but we accept his terms. Okay, if you're taking notes, that's a huge one for you. Secondly, second theme here is grace. Understand that these were invitations, not tickets. Does that make sense to you? These were not things you had to purchase. These are things that were freely given. Okay, so the invitation, okay, each invitation, each time it's mentioned in this parable, this is a picture of the loving, gracious God that we see in Jesus, okay? He is giving something free of price, something that no one else can afford to have, okay? It's not a ticket that you purchase, okay? It's a free gift. Now, so with the grace theme there, now he brings in to teach us about his judgment, Okay, And so we see judgment is directly tied to that grace word. And so the people in this parable who get judged are the ones who do not accept his terms. And because they do not like his terms, they do not accept his what? His grace. I mean, we could just go home right now, in my opinion. That's pretty good. There's a lot more to get to. All right, if you are taking notes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you guys the main themes but there's too, too much that I'm going to talk about to put it all on the screen. So with each main theme that I'll talk about, if you want to take notes, go ahead and just uh, try your best to keep up. Okay, so here in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 2, what we have here is the first theme to understand, if you would, the first element of the parable that we need to understand is the wedding banquet. Okay, Jesus is never sloppy or careless with his words, okay? Each word is weighted heavily. He knows exactly what pictures he's trying to create for us. Here's the first one, okay? He equates what he's going to do at the kingdom of heaven to a party. Few of you ever think of the kingdom of heaven and go, oh, it's a party, cool, okay? Again, remember, he's inviting people to something that you would think we would want to go to, okay? If, if there was a, an awesome party in town, and, you know, you can only go, you know, if you were invited, you would want the invite to show up. And so what happens again here is he's really kind of hammering home how poorly we see his invitation, okay? Few of us really get what it is he's offering us. Because if we did, just like his previous parables, we would leave everything for it. Okay, just like the man who found the pearl of great worth in the field. He went and sold everything for the pearl. Okay, if you really knew what kind of a party this was, there's nowhere else on the earth you'd want to be. Make sense? Okay, secondly, he used the theme of a wedding. Okay, this is a picture of what will happen with the reconciliation of Jesus the son of the king, and his bride, right? Who's the bride? Am I the bride? I'm a guy. No, I'm not the bride. We are the bride. <laughs> okay, that's very crucial in your understanding of Scripture, okay? Scripturally speaking, we are the bride, not you. There's a very different part of that, okay? We are the body. You're not the body of Christ. Does that make sense? You are a part of it, all right? You cannot ever separate yourself from the whole or else you what? Cease to be part of the whole, 
okay? He's not coming back just for me. He's coming back for us, and that's crucial, okay? And again, part of his terms, part of accepting grace is, is acknowledging you're not the only one invited to the party, and it changes the way you act and you live. Make sense? Okay, we are the bride, we are the body, not me. Okay, second thing. In the third verse, we see a second invitation. Okay, if you look here, it says, he sent his servants to those who had been invited, meaning this. He's sending his servants out for the second time. Okay, do you see this? Okay, they had already been invited, all right? So there's been a first invitation. Understand that the way these parties worked in this culture was that the word, the word was sent you know, long ahead of time, and then when the meal was ready, they would send them out again, okay? So this is the second invitation. And of course, this is all crucial, because to understand judgment, we have to understand grace. We're again seeing the grace of God, okay? He's, he's inviting us to this great party that we have no idea what it is. He's doing it without us having to pay for it or earn it, and he's doing it so much he is pursuing people, did you get that? God, the king, is pursuing you. If you have a picture of judgment without a God who pursues you to take you from judgment, you have the wrong understanding of judgment. Make sense? There's no one who gets left out of the party who wasn't pursued to come to the party. Okay? Again, judgment is a real thing, but you need to have the right picture of judgment. Okay? Because again, we have that right picture of God. And this is why this is crucial. So understand again, this is the second invitation. Verses four through six, we see that there is a third invite. Okay, again, it's a picture of God pursuing the same people three times. Okay, again, without asking anything of them except for what? To come. Okay, now when this happens in verses four through six, there are three things that take place here. First of all, we see it's the last chance. Okay, for these people who are, if you would, the intended guests. Some people who interpret this scripture understand these to be the Jews. They understand that this picture is a picture of the Jews who were intended to be God's people to come into this. Uh, you can take that if you would, but I'll hand it to you. Here, here. Second thing we see. We see the first group of people who reject the invitation have a really odd reason for it. Indifference. In essence, what they say is, we had other things to do. In, in Luke 14, the ones who rejected, they had some really interesting answers. The one guy had a new business. The one guy just got married. This other guy had some things at home to tend to. Okay? In essence, this first group of people who are turning down the kingdom of heaven, they believe there's something of more value where they are. Have we seen this before with Jesus? Okay? The rich young ruler. What's it take to, to inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says what? Sell everything you have. To get through the eye of the needle, to come through Jesus, it means you must allow everything in this world to die. You must be willing to let go of everything in this world to have your riches in that world. Silence. Okay. Same theme again. The ones who didn't come to the party didn't understand the value of what was being offered to them. They thought that what they had here, and again, the picture is what they had on this earth, okay, was of more value than what he had in the kingdom of heaven. If your time, your efforts, your heart, your passions, your loyalty, if it's all in this world, the odds are you are the, per the person going, oh, yeah, sure, Jesus, I'll be right there, but I have something to do here. 
I wouldn't want to be in the group. Silence. Okay. Moving on. Here's the next group of people who respond, okay? The ones who weren't, you know, so convinced that they had something better to do at home. Okay, okay, again. <laughs> Have you guys ever been invited to a lame party before? Let's all be honest. Yes, okay. We've all been invited to lame parties before. When I was a youth pastor, the hardest thing in the world was to convince the kids that we're going to have something more fun at a youth group. What they can get, I mean, come on, really? Anyways, they think that they're being invited to a youth group party. Oh, that sounds great. I think I have some laundry to do at home, okay? Here's the next group. They respond with violence. They disrespect the king. They dishonor him, and they respond with violence. And again, would you disrespect someone that you knew had power? Okay. If I were standing next to a guy who was seven foot, okay, 400 pounds, would I be like, man, you ugly? What are the odds, okay? If you have a brain that's working, the odds are, no, you wouldn't do that. Okay, there you go. What this is is a clear picture of people who, who do not accept who do not believe, who do not, who do not acknowledge this person's kingship, okay? And again, these people would happen to be the Pharisees, okay? It's people who believe that, that this is not of God or God isn't real, okay? And they respond with dishonor and violence to this invitation, okay? You don't want to be in that camp either. Moving on. Here's, here's the next thing we see in verse 7. They are not rejecting a party, okay? In Luke 14, with the same parable, what they're rejecting is a random Joe who invited them, you know, to a party to have fun. In this parable, it's not just a random Joe, it's not a party. They're rejecting a king, not a party. His hearers are not rejecting his words. Because they're rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting the king, God. This hasn't set in yet. These people have not just rejected a party invite. They are rejecting who it is from. Okay? This, oddly, is something that most of us fall into so easily. When we take the things of God lightly. It's not about the things of God. It's about the source. If I really believed that there was this awesome, awesome party, if I really believed there's this giant seven foot, 400 pound guy, I would respond differently to it. It's not the invite. It's not the party. It's the person who's sending it that's being rejected. This is a dangerous thing, especially for us to do. The ones who have been around it so long, the ones who have that familiarity, the ones of us who feel like we already kind of have it down, this is the part of it that hits us. Okay, this is not something to be taken lightly. The kingdom of heaven is what Jesus came to bring. It's not just another sermon. This is what he was here to do. And when we ignore it, we ignore the one who sent it. I'm just so glad this is one of the sermons we can always kind of like, you know, scream and, you know, shout and amen, you know. Hey, man, Lord, let's go home, right? Okay. Moving on, verses 8 through 10, okay? There's urgency. 
wasted the parable of the vineyards workers uh, last week. Why would that, you know, the owner of the vineyard need so many workers? Why is the king in this parable so obsessed with filling his banquet hall? There is urgency. The time is near. With the last invite that's sent out, they were sent to say something. What they were sent to say was, the meal is ready, meaning it's hot. It's ready now. There's a timetable on this sucker. Thanksgiving is coming up. Sadly, scary, it's almost here, okay? Do you like, well, I shouldn't even ask that. I was going to say if you like cold turkey, and then I just felt like some people would say yes, which is weird. Okay, but anyways, okay. In general, we like warm food, okay? So he's using this very light analogy, but what it really means is, again, this invitation has an expiration on it. The time is precious. There's urgency to this, okay? It's not just, hey, you know, drop by whenever you guys want to, okay? If you want to come, run, baby. This thing has an expiration on it. And then, here's the part that I just love. Um, Let's go to verse 8, if you guys want to go back there. Here's the king speaking. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Now, who does not deserve to come? Is it the sinners? Is it the people who, you know, just kind of stink at life? Is it the stupid people? Is it the really smart people? Who is it? It's, It's simply put this, right? The ones who don't deserve to come are the ones who don't, Accept the invitation. Make sense? Again, understanding judgment in light of grace is a very different picture. When you take the grace out, it's, it's, it's ugh. The ones who don't deserve to come are the ones who don't want to come. That simple. Okay? Moving on. So here's what he does. Verse 9. So he sends his servants, go to the street corners. What kind of good stuff happens on street corners? Okay, there you go. We live in the country, okay, so there's not too many street corners, but (laughs) if you have grown up in a place that has lots of street corners, you know that's not where you want to be hanging out, okay? When Jude's a high schooler, he will not be hanging out on street corners, okay? So again, the people they're going to are not exactly, you know, the most choice, all right? Now, there's this theme that Jesus has said over and over again, right? It's the one that we all love here at Grace Church, right? The last shall be first. Who's he going after again? The last. The people on the street corners. Lord have mercy. All right. If I, next Sunday, sent all the volunteers to all the street corners in Fort Smith and brought them in here, a lot of you guys would leave. Simply put. How challenging is that? The king of the world, right? The one who sets the the terms. He says, oh yeah, by the way, I'm bringing everyone from every street corner in the entire world and all creation of all time. Do you still want to come to my party? It might stink a little bit. Might be some awkward table conversation. So what do you do on the street corner? Laugh. That's a good one. Come on. Anyways, all right. Goodness gracious, guys. I mean, the game wasn't that bad, was it? Ugh. Have a hangover here. Okay. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. Verse 10. Now you guys are laughing. All right, verse 10. 
So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find. And again, here's that hard-hitting verse. Both good and bad. And because of this, because they went and found all of the last, okay, the wedding hall was filled with guests. I absolutely love that picture. I mean, it's just, uh, he's been saying this, this, this silly, stupid, frustrating phrase over and over and over again. And, you know, for most of his ministry, no one even understands what it means. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. And again, what it means is only the last in this world will inherit and be first in that world. Only those who are willing to let go of all forms of, you know, success and comfort and joy and identity in this world. If you think you've made it in this world, the odds are you'll have a more difficult time letting go of that to have the inheritance he has for you on the other side. And you'll only let go of it if you understand the value of the party he's throwing. The reason that most of us can't get anyone in church to really care is because we're convinced that what's going on after this life isn't that much. If you really believed that this life was going to end and that the real life, the one that you should really be living for, the one that was 40 years on 40 years on 40 years on eternity was coming up, you would do nothing in your life except for live for that. But the truth is few of us are convinced of it. And so because, because all of us who have something to lose, because we have jobs, we have families, we have, you know, cars or this or that, it's harder for us to be willing to risk what we have in this world for what's coming. But the scary thing is the people in the street corners get it before we do. The ones who have nothing to lose in this world are the ones who are willing to risk that for something better. And if we want to join them in the party, we have to be like them. I don't want you on the street corners. It's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying that. <laughs> Everyone's like, okay, let's go try that next church down the street. He said he wants us to go be prostitutes and drug dealers. <laughs> Anyways. Well, that's why they didn't like Jesus, by the way, because that's exactly what he was telling them. <laughs> so anyways, so we have to be willing to let go of this world. We have to be willing to go through the eye of the needle, okay? Again, we have to be willing to let go of everything in this world so that there's n- almost nothing left of us except for our decision to accept the invitation, okay? Moving on. Verse 11 through 13. So we have this whole thing going on. It's exciting. But, but there's this guy who kind of stands out. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And again, buster, bub, pal, how would you get in here? If they are inviting people from street corners, do you think they have tuxedos in their closets? No, okay, so again... It doesn't matter how this is happening, but some way, shape, or form, the king is providing a way for them to close themselves, if you would, to be prepared for the wedding. Again, he knows who he's invited to the party, and there's only one person who gets in trouble, okay, for not dressing up. And this person, again, gets a very scary judgment again. And he's hitting home this comparison of grace and judgment, and the only one who gets in trouble, again, is the one who doesn't accept the grace offered to him. If everyone else from the street corners had the ability to get wedding clothes on because the king's providing it or something, okay, then this one man, in some way, shape, or form, again, was rejecting this offer from the king. 
There is no picture in this story that's more telling to us as Christians who have grown up in church or been in church or, you know, than this guy. Because he got the invitation and he showed up to the party. He got baptized. He said the prayer. He accepted the invitation. He showed up. But he didn't show up prepared. There's no character in this story who should scare you more than this guy. Because he looks like us. Everyone goes, okay, so tell us the good news. The good news is pretty simple. The good news is that, again, the only one who gets judged is not getting judged because he was a sinner or he messed up or he made mistakes. He's getting judged again because he did not receive the grace of God. And the only appropriate wedding tire, if you would, for, for the wedding of the bridegroom, okay, with Christ and his bride, is going to be the grace and holiness through Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb. That's the only attire that's fitting. And everyone goes, that's a really theological picture. Okay, I'll make it simple, okay? The only way for you to receive these clothes is to take a bath and to wash off the old self. Every part of you that is connected and loves this world, that would, that would choose this world or this life or money or success or being respected or having power or blah, 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 every part of us that would cling to this world has to be washed off. What do we, okay, everyone's going, I don't know if I get this picture. Okay, so behind this monstrous drum cage, okay, we have the baptismal, right? So what's this a picture of? We take someone, we say some prayer, and then we put them on some nasty bath water. What's it a picture of? Like, why is it important, right? It's a picture of what? Death first. Everyone goes, resurrection, because everyone's talking about resurrection. What happens before resurrection? You cannot be resurrected until what? You die. That sounded really bad. You die. <laughs> okay. You can't be resurrected until you die. There is no blood of Jesus. There is no you know, understanding of you walking in the covering of Jesus Christ and holiness and righteousness without your work, without choosing to allow that self to die first. The only way, th- what we are required to do is to accept the invitation. But the sad thing is, the scary thing is, it's a good thing, but the scary thing is the, the invitation really is an invitation to death. Now we know it's an invitation to resurrection and life, but what comes in it is death. Will you allow this self, these dreams, these desires, this insecurity, this fear that's rooted in this world to die first so that he can do all the other work for you, so that grace can flood your life, he can clothe you in Christ, and now, you, you know, you it's on the party like it's 1999, right? Okay. All right, here we go. Everybody goes, I don't know about this guy. So how do we respond to this whole parable? Here we go. Here's the first thing we have to do. We have to accept the invitation, the king, and the son. You have to accept all three. The invitation is great. It's exciting. It's, it's, it's free. But it means we have to accept the king. And a king, again, is a very clear picture. The reason that the scriptures have this idea of king and lord is, again, we cannot set the terms. If we're going to come, we have to come the way he tells us to come. What he desires from us is simple. Accept his invitation and prepare for the party. 
Acceptable attire is your death suit. Everyone goes, okay. I know, right? Again, when Jesus asked what the price is, what does it cost? How do I get to eternal life? His answer was always the same. It costs you everything of this world. That was his answer to everyone. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, if you didn't know, that's going to cost you everything. You cannot love anything else more. Now, again, it's not saying that you cannot make mistakes. It's not saying that you can't have emotions. And sometimes, you know, it's not what it's saying. It's saying that you have to embrace it. Are you willing to embrace this process? Are you willing to let yourself be let under the water so he can bring you out? Here's a second way that we respond to Jesus. We share the invitation with urgency. What's funny about us is if we are ones who truly accept the invitation, you you cease being only a guest. The moment you really accept the invitation as a Christian, you become a guest and a servant. The moment that you accept the invitation, it's your job to prepare yourself to come, to continue to allow God through his grace to, <clears throat> to grow in you, but it's also your job to run out and to fill his hall with the last. It's your job to run to the street corners. It's your job to run to the neighbors. It's your job to fill the wedding banquet with people. We can't show up empty-handed. Here's the third way that we respond. We don't show up underdressed. The grace found in Jesus is the only appropriate wedding attire, but we must bathe in death to this world and to self before dressing. We unpacked that one enough. Here's the last thing we have to do. We have to live mindful of grace and judgment. A judgment based on merit is to be feared and dreaded, but a judgment on acceptance of grace alone births births lives of hope, joy, love, and thankfulness. Again, when you acknowledge what kind of judgment is coming, yes, it brings a seriousness, okay? But when you acknowledge that your only job is just to accept and say yes, it's not quite as scary. When you are constantly thinking about how many mistakes you made, or if you screwed up, if you didn't do things right, that is a scary judgment. But if you realize that the only judgment that really is coming that we really need to be aware of is the one of choosing to accept the invitation to death, so that we can live in grace. That's a powerful thing. And when you realize that your only job is just to, to hold on to this grace with two arms, it becomes that much more simple and easy. And there's no fear about mistakes or making, you know, sinning even. Again, again you will continue to be imperfect until he returns. But when you choose to embrace grace, to live in a way that you're constantly leaning on God, There's no fear to be had. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand. Ushers, if you guys can bring down the elements.